What's up, Podcast World? Back at you another episode. This life ain't for everybody. I'm fired up for today's episode that, again, is brought to you by our friends, the one and only Lynchburg, Tennessee, the iconic Jack Daniels Sour Mash. Tennessee whiskey. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking, but bring Jack with you for all your good times, high times, and even the sad times. Jack has been there for myself, our crew, as we travel the roads and the back roads of America, seeing those sunrises, those sunsets. It's all about the memories and the stories that we write, and I'm telling you, This has been a weird year that we're getting past in 2020 and transitioning into 2021. One of the things that we lean on the most, in my opinion, is music. And I have one of our favorite musicians, and this guy's been at it for probably, I'm going to say 20 years right now. We're going to get into his story. I've been listening to him since probably 2009, 2010. So uh, over 10 years now, I've been listening to Mr. Cody Jinx from this great state of Texas. Cody, how are you, brother? I'm wonderful. Thank you for uh, thank you for that setup. I, yeah, twenty years is pretty close. I've been doing it a while. Uh, um, I got to I got to ask you about like you have a you have rock influence in what you do. I'm a huge heavy metal rock and roll. I'm older than you by five years, I believe I am, but I love some of the the 80 the music that came out in the late 70s 80s rock was a little iffy i don't know if you would agree with that or not there was some bands that really hit it hard the metallicas i love guns and roses but then you get into the hair bands and and some of that stuff that might have had a little bit too much you know glam to it your influence at the age that you are you started as rock right like you're a real big rock fan yeah you know uh 80s metal is you know the the big four you know metallica slayer anthrax megadeth that was um the thrash stuff you know in late 70s early 80s you know the new new wave of british heavy metal coming over and influencing uh all the thrashers that that i really liked on into you know pantera being a texas boy but um yeah metals metal was very big from i was in a metal band from 07 to 03 um my first love was is and always will be country um you know that's that's what i grew up listening to more than anything that that was what was on more um at the house than anything was but but yeah um rock and metal is is still a a big a big place in in my life and actually um you know uh next week you know on our podcast i'm having uh scott ian from anthrax on so we're you know it's it's been fun to just be a fan of music and go back to the eighties, you know, and I get long winded talking about music. So just buckle up. Um, going back to the eighties, there, there was a, you know, the hair metal thing was fine. I guess that had its place, but I was into the heavier stuff, but I was also really into stuff like Depeche mode and, and the cult and uh, like a bunch of weird things that, you know, people might not, you know, think, but I, I draw from all of them, you know, not just country. When you start talking about let's let's start with Philip Ensemble and maybe you can educate me a little bit. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was 92, 93 that Vulgar Display of Power comes out and it had Rise and it had Walk and it had F and Hostile. It just had so many just Cal. I mean, there was a lot of good anthrax. I mean, not anthrax, but Pantera music. But what was it about Philip Ensemble that made him a great front man because he is like i mean he was so powerful but he's almost a little bit like slipknot and a little bit like Corey is that he can get that really loud yelling voice and that down deep in the gut but then he can come and get some really you know great harmonies or you know you know a lot more about singing than i do cody but what made him such a great front man 
God, he's just a great front man, you know. I mean, and I've I've seen I've seen Phil <clears throat> front, um, you know, Pantera several times. I've seen him front down several times, uh, you know, just over the course of years. Going and and he's just um, whatever it is. And people say the it factor, whatever it is. Uh, Philip has always been. Um, in my mind, uh, one of the best. Now I've seen him when he was absolutely trashed and, and could barely make it through a show. And, and I've seen him when it was just like, good God. Wow. You know, and he's usually good God. Wow. Um, he's, he's talented, man. He, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't typically play guitar on stage, but he's a really good guitar player. Um, he's a great lyricist, but I think where, Phil separates himself was um, Phil Phil gave his his voice to to metal you know going back to you know vulgar and and before that you know um, you know Cowboys from Hell and earlier Pantera efforts you know Phil was up there rocking those like Sebastian Bach type high notes you know I mean he can't do that anymore. He, he gave everything that he had, you know, I mean, um, and the, what his voice turned into sound, it sounds like just the baddest, meanest, most awesome metal voice ever. I think that's really well said at the very end right there about, it was just so mean and it was so, it get you so fired up. Um, you mentioned Sebastian and you mentioned Depeche Mode. You mentioned the big four with Anthrax and Slayer and Dave Mustaine and, and Megadeth and, and the Mighty Met. But did you, were you a Skid Row guy? Did you get into Axl Rose or Sebastian Bach and that kind of rock band? Because to me, like Appetite for Destruction, I know that people think on this podcast, I'm, I'm crazy because all I talk about is Axl Rose and Slash and, and Izzy and all of them, the, the original lineup from GNR in 85, 86, 87. But that album, Appetite, and, and the albums that Skid Row was putting out about the same time, were you a fan of that style of rock and roll? Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I loved... Um I love guns, loved, still do love guns and roses. I love skid row. I, I never considered guns and roses and skid row weren't, weren't hair metal bands. You know, poison was a hair metal band. Def Leppard was not a hair metal band. You know, warrant was a hair metal band, you know, um, you know, it, it's easy to, to lump, you know, and categorize and people need to, categorize things to feel comfortable and, and whatnot. But, but yeah, as far as, as far as, you know, just, um, Axl Rose and, 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 you know, the rest of the guys, you know, obviously guns and roses and skid row. I, I'm a huge, huge fan. How does it happen then Cody Jenks? Tell me the, all these influences with, with whether it was Kirk Hammett or whether it was James Hetfield or whether it was Sebastian or Axl Rose or e, Scott Ian, like how does it happen? Because, you grow up on country music, I assume, in Texas, but you start as a metal guy, as a thrash metal guy, you know, fronting a band in Texas. Why did you go that route, and why did you quit that route? It, well, um, you know, the first song I ever learned how to play guitar was Long Black Veil. You know, Lefty Frizzell was a staple in, in my home and still is a staple, and I just I actually just cut a Lefty Frizzell uh, tribute record that we're going to put out later this year. Um, but <clears throat> I don't know. Metal grabbed me in a way 
that country and country, like I said, is my first love, but I begged and pleaded ACDC put out a record in 1995 called ball breaker. And, um, this is back when we still had music stores and blockbuster music had their tickets on sale. And I was begging and pleading with my mother and father at 15 years old as a freshman in high school to please let me go see ACDC because, um, you know, they're old and they might not be around forever. And, you know, I'm given all the, all the, the business. And, uh, I went and saw that show and it changed my life. You know, I'd seen shows before, I, you know, I'd seen Gary Stewart when I was a kid, I'd seen Conway Twitty when I was a kid, I'd seen some really great, um, country concerts that my parents had taken me to. Um, but Watching ACDC in 95 at Reunion Arena in Dallas is where the Dallas Mavericks used to play that since been torn down. It, it, I came home, I came home knowing not, not like, Hey, I want to do that. I came home going, I'm going to do that. You know? <laughs> so I'd, I'd have to say 95 ACDC was, was really that pivotal moment um, in my life. And so I had to, I couldn't buy an SG um, like Angus plays because, and I should have bought, you know, I should have, I should have bought uh, Malcolm's guitar cause he's the rhythm guy and I'm a rhythm guy. I'm not a lead guy at all, but I wanted an SG so bad. And at the time Epiphone was making uh, a G 400, which was the little Epiphone bro uh, brother version of the SG. So I came home from that concert and I said, I have to have one of those guitars. And my mom and dad said, well, we need to have a garage sale. And, and they didn't have the money to go get the, the G 400 was $400. It, we didn't have the money to go get it, you know? So they said, you can have a garage sale. And, and if you work the garage sale, you can take the money and go put it towards that guitar. And so I made $350 at that garage sale. And, uh, my dad was, was cool enough to uh, spot me that last 50. And, uh, we went and got that G 400 Epiphone SG looking things. And I wish I still had it, but, uh, but man, you know, that it's been a long journey and, and the, and it, it didn't, I didn't mean for it to change. I thought that the band, the metal band that I was going to, that I was in was going to be my forever band. I really, you know, I spent seven years of my life in that band and, and, um, as bands do, man, you know, they, they break up and people move on and, and move apart. And after, uh, that band broke up, we went out to LA in 2003 and, um, we, we essentially went out there to break up, which it would have cost us a lot less money if we would have just stayed here and broken up. But we had to, we had to go make a rock and roll story out of it. But I came home and, 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 and uh, all I owned when I got back, I didn't have a house or anything to stay in. Um, my buddy vouched for me at his apartment complex, you know, told the, the landlord like, Hey man, this is a good dude. He's just got to get back up on his feet. You know, can you spot him the, you know, the, you know, the down payment or whatever. And, you know, and I had, you know, literally my truck, my, uh, my amplifier, my guitar, a uh, bag full of dirty clothes and a microwave. And that, those, that, those are all the items that I owned. And um, I was in a really weird place. I was 23 and, and, uh, and, and living in this little efficiency apartment with like no furniture, you know, just like, <laughs> there's nothing in there and, uh, got my job back at Bennigan's sold my, um, at a Marshall stack, sold my Marshall stack and bought a Martin acoustic. And at that point that had been, um, it had been seven years since I'd played an acoustic guitar. 
and I just started writing country songs without meaning to write country songs. Everything was just kind of coming out that way and ended up getting a job working the door at um, a honky tonk bar in Fort Worth called the white elephant saloon in the stockyards and um, worked my way to bartending there, quit my job at Bennigan's and started playing some open mic nights doing like Clint black covers and George Strait covers and, and, you know, kind of sprinkling in some of my own stuff when I could. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm like the only guy that in the country biz, music that I know that didn't actually mean to be in a country band. I mean, look at me, dude. I don't, <laughs> like, I don't look like a country dude at all, but I just came back to my first love. You say you don't look like a country dude and you're from Texas. There is a such thing as Texas country. And then there's country music or 16th and 17th music city, Nashville, USA country music, you know, top 40 country, if you will. Then there's, you know, there's, you've been labeled outlaw. There was the outlaw movement in the seventies and early eighties with Waylon and Willie and Jesse Coulter and those guys, David Allen Coe. Who are your Texas influence, Cody Jinks? Are you a Jerry Jeff Walker fan? Do you love Robert Earl Keen? Are you a Corey Morrow guy? Do you like Jack Ingram? Uh, there's a, such good music that has come out of your home state. Um, Whiskey Myers is from Texas. That's a rock country uh, flavor there. They're unbelievable. Who are your influences? What's that? Um, you know, what was funny about it, whenever I came onto it, whenever – Whenever I got I got home in 03, the Texas country scene was really uh, vibrant. Um, you know, 03 to you know, the early 2000s to 2010s, really when it was doing the best. And I had to get out. I couldn't compete with it. I couldn't I couldn't compete with, you know, Wade Bowen and Randy Rogers and Robert Earl Keene. Now, am I fans of those guys? I love all those guys. You know, um, Robert Earl is one of the, the best songwriters we have, period, in any genre of music. Um, uh, you know, uh, Jason Boland to me is a hidden treasure. I don't, I don't know why he never catapulted to what in my mind, I think he actually is. Um, but influences and it won't even necessarily be, you know, all Texas guys. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Rusty Weir lately and a lot of people don't know who Rusty Weir is. Rusty Weir is the guy that wrote, you know, don't it make you want to dance, which everybody uh, has covered, including like Jack Ingram and a lot of the Texas guys through the years. But, uh, you know, I definitely love, you know, the old Jerry Jeff stuff and, and uh, um, you know, Robert Keene for sure. Uh, Rusty Weir, you know, Guy Clark and, and Towns Van Zant, and, you know, kind of the original, what you would call the original Texas, um, Texas movement, you know, guys uh, back from that time. So, yeah, man. You know, if it's good, it's good. I love it, man. When you say if it's good, it's good. Talk to me about your honest your honest opinion and feeling of Adam Hood and Brent Cobb. Songwriting, songwriting, and what level of songwriting are those two gentlemen at? Um, next level. I mean, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, you know, I, I talked with Adam and, and Brent both within this, this week where the three of us are supposed to get together and, and write. actually they're, they're hunting next week. And they told me to come down to Alabama, um, 
to write and hunt, but I couldn't, I couldn't make the time work. Um, I've been a fan of both those guys for a long time. The first time I met Adam was in a hotel room in, in, um, uh, Amarillo. And at the time, and I've, I've known Jason Edie for years and years and Jason and, and I cut our teeth together. We were cutting our first records at the same time back 15, 16 years ago. And, uh, I met Adam in a hotel room in Amarillo with Jason and we passed a bottle of whiskey and a guitar around till about five o'clock in the morning. And, uh, I was like, damn, this, this guy's next level. And fast forward all these years later, um, you know, Adam was down at, at my house, uh, four or five months ago and we wrote a song together. Um, Brent, I met, uh, two or three years ago at, a charity thing Jamie Johnson was putting on in Nashville. And, uh, you know, first impressions are hard to take back. The, you know, the, the first time I met Brent, it was kind of one of those things that I think he knew who I was and I, and I knew who he was before we ever shook hands and, and, and met in person. I had already been a fan of his music and, and, you know, I'm big friends with the Steelwood guys and, um, and he's worked a lot, um, over the years with them. And, you know, when, when a man walks up to you and you know who he is and he knows who you is and he sticks his hand out and says, you know, hi, Cody, I'm Brent Cobb. It's nice to meet you. As opposed to it's going up, man. What's going on, man? I'm Brent. You know, like he, you know, he's there two very and Brent and I talked on the phone the other day for about an hour. Uh, he was driving back to Nashville from a gig and I was sitting in my office working and we were just talking shop and, uh, as far as those two guys go, I know that you're big fans of them. Um, I've listened to your podcast, you know, the, and I'm big fans of, of, of theirs as well. But uh, two, first and foremost, very incredible human beings, very nice, uh, genuine, awesome people, um, but next level writers, uh, guys that, that I want to write with, guys that I need to write with to, to get better at what I do. What did, what is the talent level? And then I'm going to move on with your career because it's freaking amazing what's happened to you in the last decade. And my, that's my opinion saying that, but I think a lot of people would agree of this road you're on is really, really epic. Um, what kind of talent was Rowdy Cope? And rest in peace, Jay. I love Rowdy Cope. Um, I I know you knew the Steelwoods. I've I've knew Rowdy back in his J in his Jamie Johnson days. Um, yeah. Just an unbelievable gem, right? Just the talent and the charisma of, of a, a great human being, right? Oh, dude, my heart still broke. That's that's really what me and Brent were talking about the other day. Most of our, our conversation was 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 based on Jason, um, just talking about him. And, and we spent a lot of 2017 and most of 2018, I don't think there was a band we toured with more uh, than the Steelwoods. And actually, man, let me show you this. Hang on one sec. Hey. I found out Rowdy passed. I put a picture up online of me holding this axe. There were five of these made, four of them to the original Steelwood members, and I got the fifth one. Oh. Um, and like they gave it to me at a show in Ohio. And what a song! What an what an album! I'm about to tear up now, man. Well, I'm, I didn't mean to make you. I just what a song! What an album! Axe is. Um, yeah, you know, but. Yeah. Uh, 
the thing about about Jason as a uh, as a human, um, man, just uh, you you always knew those wheels were turning behind those eyes, you know, and and he was always so nice and kind and gracious to me, and and always wore our t shirts everywhere, and you know. Um, always spoke very highly of, of being out with us and you know just as a human you know it hurts the worst as a guitar player fuck dude um he he could do all the licks all the country stuff all the the twanging and the the popping and the picking the chicken picking and all the stuff but when you watched him play he brought this element of like blues into it that there's nobody that has a natural sound like like rowdy um and i thought the motherfucker was gonna break his 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 neck off of his guitar every time he played because he would just bend it until it made this sound that just you went what is he doing it's so awesome um yeah just a huge lot it's a small community you know it, it really is you know um just uh you know a, a huge a huge loss and i just got to listen to the new uh steelwoods record i don't even think they know that brent sent it to me <laughs> i listened to it the night before last and just had tears in my eyes the whole time because jason was all over it just lyrically and and um and guitar wise but uh yeah it's a tough one man we're we're we're, we're all still working through that yeah i was it, you know, those things in life to where procrastination comes in. We've been texting for probably good. Well, right before duck season. So sometime in September, Jason and I are texting. He's like, he's coming on the podcast. He wants to talk about the new album and sent me some merch. And I was wearing his shirts and, do, you know, doing the stuff. And I was just so high about him coming on about, you know, just talking to him about his career and his sobriety now and <clears throat> everything that he's proud of what he's doing right now, family and, 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 you know, just duck season starts and I get on the road and you just put one thing in front of the next. And then I got that news and I was just like, no freaking way, man. It just broke my heart. Cause man, I've known him for well over a decade back when, you know, back during like the rock star, uh, throwdown tours when Jamie was with Willie Nelson and Brent Cobb was on one of those tours way back in the day. And Rowdy was on stage with Jamie. I, I met, that's when I met him and it just sucked to lose that guy, man. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Heartbreaker, man. But, you know, look at, look at the gifts that he left us that, you know, like, like you, it's, uh, you know, and I've, I've said this before, you know, Steelwoods aren't just one of my favorite bands to tour with. They're one of my favorite bands. They just, I mean, period. It's, um, the body of work speaks for itself. All right. Before you get on, before we get on with the start of this of this deal, just tell me one more thing about an artist that I know that you have a relationship with and a friendship. Is Jamie Johnson one of the best voices to ever be on a microphone? No doubt. I'm so glad you said that. No doubt. I don't. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate to to get to know Jamie and talked to him the other day he's he's just getting into duck hunting as a matter of fact uh he's, he's going this weekend he's going on his first trip this weekend so i told him to let me know how he did but uh but um you know i'm a huge huge jamie fan i have been for a lot of years and um getting to play with him getting to know him over the years um he's watching that guy live is is i don't know not so much watching him 
because I didn't move around much, you know, but, but li- listening to him live is, I don't know how anybody sings that cool. I don't, I don't really, I mean, he's just, he's got one of the most amazing voices I've ever heard. Yeah. I can't say it better myself. It's like without even like putting anything into it, he stands there with his, I don't know, you know, he wears loafers and blue jeans and a black t-shirt on stage. And he looks like he's just about to whisper into the microphone and that that's how I explain it to everybody. It looks like he's going to whisper. And then all of a sudden that comes out and you're just like, no freaking way, man. It's just, he's, he's pretty legit, you know, to, to, to watch. And I think that his, you know, the, the album I've talked to people that lonesome song is, I think one of the top country albums, song to song I've ever, the way the whole story, how it transpired and how it got into where it is now. But I just think song for song, the level of songwriting and the musicianship on that is really, really legit. In my opinion. That's, that's one of the best country music albums ever made. God, man, me and you should hang out, Jinx. I'm telling you, man, I've been uh, on this podcast. I've said that so many times. Like, I know... I know that that Stapleton's got some awesome stuff, and Miranda's uh, that double album she did three or four years ago that got album of the year. There and there, there's so many Waylon and, and Merle and George Jones. There's so many good country albums, but song for song, that album is hard to beat, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I uh, I remember, um, first time we we got to play with Jamie in Oklahoma a few years ago. My dad was so excited. My dad loves Jamie. And I was like, Dad, you know, I called him up. I said, Dad, you know, you need to, you and Mom need to come to this show up in Oklahoma. We're playing with, uh, we're playing with Jamie. And my dad, my dad's not one of those. My dad's geeked out over two people I played with. Uh, one of them's Jamie Johnson. One of them's Chris Christopherson. So, you know, it, the 20 years I've been doing this, those are the only two times I can remember Dad actually geeking out, you know. So that's good company. Chris Christopherson, you've got to grace the stage with? Yeah, I got to sing. Um, me and Ward Davis played with Chris. And, and you know, the, the kind of the motherfucker of the thing is that uh, Chris opened for me, which was strange in and of itself. Um, but it, 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 me and Ward Davis, it, Ward's a, a great friend of mine. Ward's my best friend in this business. Um. You know, we got to play with Chris and and Chris invited Ward out to sing Bobby McGee with him, invited me out to sing Sunday morning coming down with him. So, you know, you can you can you can keep your Grammys and your ACMs and your CMAs and all you bullshit awards <laughs> where rich people are jacking each other off. I got to sing I got to sing on stage with fucking Chris Christopherson. <laughs> oh my god, dude. Like I literally almost teared up thinking like uh um I, I just can't even tell you like that, that box set that they put out of Chris Christopherson is like, I go to it and listen. Now, have you heard this? And I want your honest opinion because there was the highway man. And then there was all of their solo careers as a, if you just take away songwriting, he's one of the, probably the top three of all time. He's probably the best of all time. I don't know if there's ever will be somebody better. My opinion, Chris Christopherson is there. What is your opinion on the other part of his career? The guitar, the front man, the, the stage presence, not the acting or anything, but just the singing voice and the onstage presence. I love it. I love, I love all of it. I, because it wouldn't be Christopherson without that, that grizzled and haggard, voice you know i mean that's that's part of i mean could you imagine 
anybody else singing the pilgrim, you know, I don't, it just went, you know, it wasn't supposed to be perfect. It, it was supposed to be Christofferson and in, you know, kind of reiterating what you just said, I don't, I can't personally think of a better writer. Um, I mean, I can think of writers that could hang, but I, I don't know. I don't know of any better. I don't either. I just, when you, when you said the songs, you guys got to sing with them on stage. I mean, when you hear like the album, Willie does, Willie Nelson does Christofferson. Um, that's a genius album in itself. And Willie didn't write one of those songs, but when he sings either, you know, if he sings Bobby or the pilgrim or, or Sunday morning coming down, like Johnny did Sunday morning coming down. Amazing. But Christofferson is a songwriter. Like that dude literally lived every word that he wrote. And the thing about that time period, and you correct me if I'm wrong in your opinion, Cody Jinx is Brent Cobb told me this in a conversation one time is that those guys wrote when they were stoned. They wrote when they were sober. They wrote when they were, they were always writing. That's what, they did their life was writing so you got it all right yeah well and and you know you write when you're having a good day you're right when you're having a bad day and the thing about you know uh, just because we're talking about them you know just consummate songwriters um not not that everything they wrote was was amazing but what they put out was because you know they were great enough writers they're great enough writers to know whenever you know um you know, you read something that you couldn't even remember right the night before because you were so fucked up and going, well, that dog will hunt. Okay. I don't remember writing that, but you know, that's the, that's the thing. That's the trick. That's the key as a songwriter is to be constantly writing, you know, or the difference between, you know, you know, I know your buddy Brent says, you know, I'm, I'm a songwriter singer. And I, I couldn't agree more with that. I happen to be one of the rare ones that, um, would rather be the songwriter, but ended up uh, playing arenas, which doesn't typically happen. You know, you know, a honky tonk kid from Fort Worth that you know is more comfortable on a bar stool in a corner bar trying to earn a crowd of fifty that is talking louder than he's singing. I'm more at home doing that than I am playing in front of ten thousand people, just because I'd I'd rather sit down with an acoustic and play my play my guitar, play my songs. So, you know, having, having guys like that, knowing that, you know, they were writing constantly and I try to write constantly, you know, I, I don't think about my next show. I think about my next song. When you say constantly, how much, how much is it Cody Jinx? When you say constantly, it's a full-time job. I, I get this being a musician, you you can develop a nice livelihood and a nice life and a value of life in there, but quality of life. But how, how often are you working? Because when you're on stage, everybody knows you're working. How often do you write a song? Do you get an idea and put it in your iPhone and go back to it? Are you constantly doing that? Or do you sit down and actually train your brain to write a song? And do you do a lot of co-writes or are you trying to do a lot of solo stuff? Um, I don't write a lot when I'm on the road, all my focus and all my energy goes into the, you know, the two hours I'm on stage. Um, I write, I write at home, but I do take notes. I do, you know, take voice clips on the, on the phone and jot down on pieces of paper and, you know, 
like everybody else does and, and save those and take them home and see what you get. But, um, you know, I'm not a music before the words or words before the music, or I may go three months and not write a song and I may go three days and write three songs. You know, it's, it's very different for everybody. I don't have a rhyme or a reason really. Um, I'm trying to always be aware of what's going on around me to be able to take something and, and use it, um, you know, as, as a writer, you know, you're just constantly looking to, to grab and to, um, latch onto things, remember things, you know, one of my favorite writers is, is Tennessee jet. And we've written a bunch of songs together. And what I love so much about the way he writes after having gotten to know him is he loves picking people's brains and having conversations with them and then coming back and being like, Hey man, you remember that conversation we had like three months ago, you were talking about your dad. Well, yeah. You know, he's like, man, I got some ideas about, about that. We can write a song about that, you know, <laughs> you know, so it's like trying to learn from, you know, the writers that, you know, like I'm a good writer. I'm not a great writer. I try to surround myself with great writers. I try to surround myself with Adam hoods and Tennessee jets and Brent Cobbs and Josh morning stars and, Ward Davis's and, and, you know, I, I will only get better by writing with those guys. I used to, to answer your question, I used to write solely by myself. Everything had to be something that I went through, something that um, I saw personally, you know, this and that, and there, you can only do so much of that. So the older I've gotten, um, the less uh, stubborn I've become with my ideas uh, yesterday I sat down and wrote one with Kendall Marvel and Channing Wilson. And I had this idea of this, of this song and I gave him the line for the song. And I was thinking like, this is going to be a sad song. It turned out being a really fun, happy song. <laughs> so, you know, there's the shows what I know, you know, I just had the line and they were like, no, what if we did this? And I was like, that's even cooler. <laughs> that's awesome. And those two guys you just mentioned, Channing, oh man. Talk about talent. I love Channing Wilson. Kendall's, uh, I mean, they're both freaking, there's so many good, so much talent out there, Cody, that the world doesn't know about. It's crazy to me. I, I, people, I tell people, man, I, I don't want to be on a soapbox, but man, it's not, country music radio is not playing what I consider country music. And I know you hear that. And I know there's an argument and like Brent Cobb again, I keep bringing him up, but he says country music is going to do what country music's going to do. And it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. Like I think Brent's music should be heard by the world. You have sold out arenas with not a lot of radio support as far as the big top 40 radio goes that somebody, you know, that a lot of the artists that, that are selling out arenas get played on. There's not a whole bunch of independent artists. I don't even like whiskey Myers has a huge following. They said they get, they have a great touring. You, have an unbelievable crowd presence but it almost is like you have to have radio support to sell a ticket but then there's artists that have several number ones that can't sell 2500 tickets what gives cody jinx uh, well i have listened to your show and <laughs> i think i think i think brent answered it best when i listened to the podcast that you did with him you know um the, it takes money to push those singles. It, it, you know, and, and it's, it's, um, you know, half a million to a million to, to run a song up the chart. So, 
you know, I, I may not have, and, and this, you know, fortunate for our case, because, you know, the bullshit barometer, you know, you can fool most people. You can't fool everybody. Um, I mean, I, I, can, I can go out and gross as much as most Nashville guys every year with ticket sales. And they're spending five million a year on radio, first tier radio market, you know, which is funny to me because, you know, we don't get played on first tier. We get played on second and third tier radio stations, which, you know, your mid-level and your smaller markets, people that can actually still choose what they want to play. I would rather somebody choose to play me because they like the song as opposed to I'm going to line your pockets and we're going to run this song up. You know, we're going to run this song up some charts just so we can say, hey, look what we did. And then next week, it's the next guy or next girl or or whatever. It's the flavor of the month, flavor of the week. You know, it's all money. It's it's uh, and I just, you know, a long time ago, I, I chose not to play that game. I, you know, I've never signed a, a record label deal or and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just I. I kind of said, screw all that, man. I don't, you know, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it grassroots and we're going to earn it. And, and, um, if we don't have people to play for, I'll know I'm not good enough, but I'm not, I'm not having anybody, uh, ask anybody to play my shit. Tell me the story then Cody Jinx of how it happened the day or the time frame that you saw it happening, because, you know, there's, there's guys and girls that, that get a, get a, a single and it starts climbing the charts with this backing and it might make top 20, top 10, top five goes number one. Um, they start to break out. They call it a breakout artist. Did social media help build the Cody drink, the Cody jinx, this world, this empire of Cody jinx, this country music selling out arenas without a number one hit. Um, your albums have been in, in the top five, top two, top one spots on billboards, country charts before. Um, I, be- I believe that you have one of the strongest cult followings there are in music right now. There's cult followings out there that will live and die for Cody Jinx or a whiskey Myers or Jamie Johnson, Jamie Johnson. I've been quoted as saying like, that's the man that'll probably take over that Willie Nelson cult following. Well, you're right there. Willie Nelson has this cult following that at 88 years old, he sells out theaters still and and big places um, to listen to Willie. But there's going to be a passing of the torch. When did it happen and how did it happen? Was it social media? Was it, how, how did you see your career going? Wow, man, I'm getting out of Fort Worth honky tonks and I'm going to go play for 1500. And then all of a sudden for 10,000. Social media has, has had a great deal to do with it. Um, it's, it's been very, very, very pivotal for us in a, in a great way. Um, it's helped, you know, back, I mean, back in the days of, you know, going back to MySpace and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, whenever you were able to, you know, however many years ago, 15 years ago, when you could take a MySpace page and put three songs, upload three songs to it that people could just click on your MySpace page and, and listen to three different songs, you know, as somebody that didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of, you know, like, that was very helpful. And then, you know, here comes, uh, here comes Facebook and Instagram and uh, all the other, the other avenues that, that we use. And, and especially now uh, because we can't be out there touring like we normally do, you know, very dependent on social media. Do you do any of it yourself? 
Is any of the um, social media touched by Cody Jinks? I, I <laughs> kind of. That's kind of I do. Um, it's so big now. There's so much going on. You know, I do. I do the uh, the the Monday night sequestered songwriters night. I love I love doing all those posts because I have a lot of friends that are that are that are doing that. Um, you know, you can tell the difference between a post that like my team's made like, Hey, check out this new t-shirt, you know, <laughs> you know, stuff like that versus one where, you know, I'm like, Hey man, uh, we lost Jason Cope today. You know, there's, you can, I, so yes, I, yes. And no, the, the business stuff, the business stuff, uh, I have a team of people that do that. Cause I can't, I can't get in the minutia of, of when those are supposed to go out and Cody, you need to say this about this hat or whatever, but you can, you can definitely tell when it's really me on there. So get, tell me the story then of like one of the first occurrences of, wow, man, this is, this is going next level. This is, this isn't playing our hometown anymore. I know that there was a time in a sprinter van and probably a smaller vehicle than that and be in hotel rooms and, and just, you know, touring the world and the hours put in in the, in the windshield time. But when, sprinter van when, in a hotel would have been awesome, man. We would like Dodge Ram in a truck stop parking lot, man. <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, I can't tell you exactly when I looked up and went, you know, holy shit. Um, it was, it was probably about three or four years ago. Uh, probably three or four years ago was whenever I had my holy shit moment. Like, what the hell is going on? You know, I'm riding around in a tour bus, and then we got another tour bus, and then we got a tractor trailer, and then you know, <laughs> and then we're flying on private airplanes. And I'm, so, <laughs> you know, it's, you're kind of sitting there just scratching your head, going, well, "I didn't mean for any of this to happen. This is this is crazy." Um, you know, I'm not broke. I actually have money coming in. You know, <laughs> it's it probably yeah, three, three, four, five years ago, I guess. You know, I, I guess the probably the first time a tour bus ever pulled up in front of my house. And then um, I ended up buying my own bus. And that's always kind of, you know, you have these little, these little things. You know, I remember the first time I played Green Hall you know, down in South Texas. I remember the first time I, I put a thousand people in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I remember getting to play Bristol at a NASCAR race. I remember the first time I got to play the Troubadour in LA, you know, there's, there's just, there's holy shit moments. And, uh, and those are the ones that, you know, you look at, I remember when, you know, Randy Travis crashed my stage in Oklahoma you know, you just, you look back and, and all of it is kind of, oh shit. Wow. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's all fuzzy because it happens because you just have your head down and you just work and work and work and work and work and, you know, stay on the road seven, eight, nine months a year and uh, longer at times. And you don't realize the magnitude of what's happening because you're just working so hard. And, and really this last year, you know, we've been off the road almost 11 months. Uh, this last year has been a really good time to reflect, man, you know, to, to think about what I've been doing for the, for the past 20 years, you know, being on the road and, and knowing all, meeting all these cool people and befriending all these great writers and, and, um, 
I don't, it's a lot to take in, you know, it's almost, it's been good for me to have the time to reflect on, holy crap, dude, you know, not, not so much look at what you've done or look at what you've accomplished, but just taking a breather and just going, damn, man, you've done it, you know, take a, take a break. And then the other side of your brain says, you need to go back to work, man. You need to stop worry about patting yourself on the back and get out there, go to work again, you know? How, how much of a role does humility play in what you just said, Cody? Because when you're on that grind and you got those blinders on and that focus is forward of, you're, I mean, you're not even realizing that, one, you know, Randy Travis, forever and ever, amen, and, and I, I can't stand of what happened to the man, but he's crashing your stage. You're playing Bristol. You're, see, you're having these life-changing moments, and the next week you, you're, you're already on to the next one, so it's hard to even fathom what just happened. But it's also you're taking a big risk of your head getting bigger, your, your ego getting out there in front of you, because now it's not that you don't want to remember those or talk about them or storybook them. You're just on to the next because you're a grinder. You're a worker. You were put on this earth to work. You're a work ethic. Did your mom and dad teach you humility? Are, are, are you a humble man? Did you stay humble through all of this? Or did you ever have to sit yourself down and go, whoa, 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 we got to get grounded and rooted again. Um, humility is, you know, <laughs> I love words, right? And I hate the misuse of the word or the phrase I'm humbled by. You know, people don't get you don't you don't give somebody and you know, I'm humbled by this award that you gave me. I'm humbled. No, you get humbled by having your ass handed to you. You you get humbled by looking like an idiot. Um, humility for me is the fear of looking like an idiot. Um, my mom and dad both have very strong work, work ethics and, um, are just great and wonderful people. And, and my in-laws are as well, but I'd say the main source of me working because for me, humility is a practice. I don't know. <laughs> you have to be, you have to be a certain amount of selfish and self-centered and almost narcissistic to do what I do for a living in terms of, of, of being a, a front person in a band. Um, and I think that any honest writer would, would, or front person would tell you that, that same thing if they were being honest. So humility is most certainly a practice. Um, and the biggest help I have with that is my wife. Um, she, <laughs> she's, uh, we've, we've been together since I was 16 and she was 15. So we were sophomores in high school. So before I was the guy on stage in the cowboy hat and the sunglasses and all the tattoos and the big beard and looking cool and stuff, you know, I was, I was a nerdy kid from Fort Worth that, played guitar and had long hair and, and, uh, happened to dig this pretty little Fort Worth girl that ended up agreeing to marry me for whatever reason. So, um, when my head starts getting a little bit big, she'll just look at me and go and humble. And <laughs> so I've, got, I've, got, I've got some help. Uh, I promise you it's, <laughs> It's, it, it's a team effort. What is the, uh, <clears throat> give me an idea of what your pre-stage recommend, rec you know, like, is there, 
consistency? Do you have a routine? Are you a fitness freak? Do you work out at all? Do you do you train on the road and um, do you do uh, vocal lessons on the not lessons but exercises on the road? I, I, I assume you do vocal warm ups before every show, but are you a guy that goes in and sweats it out a little bit before the show to do meditation? Give me a little bit of what a, a, a ten thousand seats, ten thousand asses are going to be in these seats tonight. You're going to be somewhere in 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 the Midwest, and you know this crowd is going to be. Let's say you're going to be at 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 uh, the big Harley Davidson event. What's it called in South Dakota? Sturgis. You're going to be at Stur- You're going to be in Sturgis. It's going to probably be more than ten thousand people. What is pre-show like for Cody Jinks, and is it the same every night? Yeah, I don't I don't like schedules, but I have a routine. Um, and my, I'll, I'll just give you a day to day run a day to day rundown. If we're on the road doing three, four, five days in a row. Uh, I wake up at usually about in the noon to two o'clock hour and um, get up, take a shower, usually go find a bite to eat. You know, I'll I'll go out somewhere and try to kind of duck in somewhere, be inconspicuous. I don't, I don't really like to be around people on show days. Um, so I'll, yeah, get up, get cleaned up, go find some lunch, maybe have a beer, uh, make it back to sound check by three or four. I haven't seen any of my guys at that point. And by the time I get to the stage, they've all been up there, you know, getting all their stuff, you know, good to go for 15 or 20 minutes and walk out on stage and, and, uh, you know, say hi to all the boys and, and, uh, hi to the crew and, um, We'll do sound check, and then I'll usually go find me a little bar somewhere, have a couple beers, go back, take a take a pre-show nap. Uh, I'm big on naps. I have to have a nap before I play. Um, so I, I don't work out on the road or or or, or do any of you know that's that type of stuff. Meditate or whatever. My nap before the show is is usually where. I I go and just kind of center myself and lay down and and. Uh, and stretch out and at that point usually i've only been awake for like five hours but i always make it up in time to see the um the support band if we're not the support band um you know so i'll get up and go watch uh go watch the support band and and sip on a beer too while i'm doing that and then go play you know i I don't do vocal warm-ups um i probably should the older i get i've it's harder to hit some of that stuff I was singing 15 years ago, but uh, you know, I just kind of comes with it. So I don't really have a schedule. I have more of a routine and it's pretty unorthodox. I, but I think that, you know, everybody just kind of has to find what works for them. When you say you don't necessarily, I don't know if you use the words like to be, or you're just not around people on show day is, are the two main reasons for that? they're going to want to talk about stuff that you don't want to focus on and you don't want to talk a bunch to anybody because you don't want to wear your voice and your vocal cords out. Um, after the show, it would, it would be the latter after the show, you know, whenever I stink, cause I always stand out and sign stuff and I always stand out and, and, you know, 30 minutes, an hour after the show's over, I'll, I'll go up on the bus and relax for a minute and have a beer and, and, and smoke a joint or something and just kind of come down but there's always going to be people out there waiting. 
Um, so after the show, I would say, yeah, I do try to rest my voice. I don't talk much. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll sign everything. I'll take every picture with everybody, but you know, it's, Hey Cody, how you doing? You know, it's like, you know, good man. Thank you. Thank you. know, Thanks for coming. My voice is tired. You know, I sang for two and a half hours and I got to do it again for the next three nights. So, um, a lot of people find me not talkative, you know, after that, but it's not cause I don't want to be around them. It's just, you know, that's where I'm saving my voice before the show. No, I'd just rather be alone. Um, because it's a great responsibility. People, people don't realize how, how, uh, most people wouldn't realize, I guess, unless you've done it, what a responsibility it is to know that you've got to walk out on stage that night. You've got to support, you know, however many tour buses worth of people that, you know, have bills to pay. You've got to make sure however many people that are coming in are having the time of their life. You have a great amount of responsibility for that day. And when I'm on the road, man, it's all business. Um, after the show, it's fine. We'll, we'll sit up in, in the bus and play cards and drink some beers and, and, and smoke some weed or whatever. But, but before the show, man, I'm, I'm not the motherfucker walking around with a big smile on my face. You know, it's, it's all business. That's awesome. <clears throat> Truly. That's a, a, a really different approach than I thought it would be because it seems like a lot of people would think just, Hey, happy go lucky. You know, we're just going up there and playing our songs that we would play around the fire, but this is a business. This is your livelihood. This is something that you want to excel at. You're a perfectionist in a lot of ways. You're not going to go up there and give somebody that worked their ass off for 50 hours a week to pay $45 to come and see Cody Jinx play, stand at the merch table for 40 minutes to get a t-shirt and a vinyl. You're not going to go up there and half ass it. you just don't have that type of personality. That's why you have that approach in the beginning of the day right well you can't i mean you can sit around a campfire and get a buzz going on and start a song and everybody's digging on it and then you go oh shit i forgot that i forgot the next line you can't do that when you got a whole shitload of people in an arena you know it's you can't go up sorry guys fuck that one up let me let me go on this next one you know it doesn't work that way <laughs> or have the people around the fire take it over for you the guys in the you guys remember the words yeah why 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 beer cody would you, do you still sip on whiskey once in a while in the downtime and do you not do you choose not to do it pre-show because you don't want to take a chance of forgetting those lyrics so you just I get stage fright anyway. I, I people don't realize that, but a lot of a lot of entertainers do. I'm I'm scared to death whenever I walk out there, and it usually takes me four or five songs. I quit drinking hard liquor um, almost two years ago. Uh, February will be will be uh, two months, and it was just something that I needed to I needed to do for <laughs> for everybody, for myself, and for and for everybody else. Um, in the last couple of years, I. You know, I, I got invited to have a, have a taste at a local brewery and I, 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 I drank a whiskey drink and, um, every now and again, when my wife's wanting Mexican food, I might have a margarita, but, uh, it's just one, but I just, I stay on that beer, man. I, you know, I, I quit smoking cigarettes and I quit dipping snuff and, uh, uh, quit doing some other things that I shouldn't have been doing. Uh, is this mainly because of kids or was it all health? No, you know, just, um, just health wise, you know, I mean, it is 40 sneaks up on you pretty quick. And whenever you, you look down and you go, I'm doing what I was doing when I was 20, but I'm, uh, 
it's I'm not I'm not recovering as quick because I, I have been doing it since I was 20. So it, it's it's not just kids. Kids are a big part of it. You know, that's my doctor told me, you know, when I quit smoking, he said, that's the that's the best thing you ever did for your kids. You know, and 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 uh, I, I tell you what, man, I've, I've got a pack of cigarettes right here in my and I quit smoking almost two years ago. I got a pack of cigarettes right here in my drawer. Just ca- case the zombies come, you know, I, I get one out and, uh, and and fire it up if I know I'm going down or whatever. But, um, you know, smoking weed and, and drinking beer, that's those are those are about the last of the crutches I have anymore. That's that's probably good for everybody. When I listened to your library and I did, I was driving, I had about a three and a half hour drive the night before last. And I, I started listening to your catalog. Do you, is it a library too? Or is it, is it professionally termed a catalog? What's the right word to say there? <laughs> I don't think, I don't think you can go wrong. I, I, I think that you, you ca- catalog probably, I think catalog would probably be the more official term, but library works. I know what you're talking about. So every time I do this, whether I'm on a plane with headphones or I'm in a truck blazing the stereo. There's a song that gets me every time. And I don't know any specifics about it. I do think that I read that you were the sole writer on it, but it gets me to the point to where I have to copy and paste it to somebody and tell them, dude, I just started crying in my truck listening to the song. Um, I think about people when I hear it, the song is called no words and it hits me like there's no tomorrow. When I hear this song, every time, tell me a little bit about what headspace you were in when you pin this or pencil this. And is it a simple song? And how does somebody that has such a successful and loving marriage for so long to their high school sweetheart, even fathom something like this. If you're dating a girl since you're 15 or 16 years old, you didn't even have time to go through any of this shit, Cody Jinx. So how do you get so descriptive to make a 45 year old man cry when he's driving down the interstate in California? I don't know. Life imitating art or art imitating life. I wrote that song. It's actually one of the first country songs I wrote and we just didn't even record it until a few years ago. Um, you know, I mean, a song you know i mean it's at the risk of sounding trite you know it's it's pretty self-explanatory um she saw and has seen everything that this business has done to me um you know when you when you start playing bars when you're 17 years old and there's you know uh, whatever you want at your fingertips be it sex drugs or rock and roll drinking or you know all that kind of stuff um, the, the thing about me personally is that, uh, it was all about, you know, the drink and the drugs and the rock and roll whenever I was younger, it, I never worried about, uh, I never worried about the sex part of it, you know, just, she was always there. That's, that's really been the only constant thing in my life. And I, I, I don't, I, you know, and I don't say this casually, I don't, I don't think I'd be alive, uh, there's, there's several different times in my life that she's, um, she's really been the one that's, that's kept me going, you know? So, uh, I knew a long time I came, you know, I came from a honky tonker. I know, I know what I am. I know how hard I am to deal with. Um, but I, I told her, I said, look, you know, I, you know, I'm fucked up and I'm, <laughs> I said, but I'm, I'm not, I said, but I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to treat you wrong. I said, I, you know, I need you to, I need you to be there. So it's just kind of always been the understanding, you know, 
um, she's, she's been there through all of it and she's, she's, uh, uh, she's seen, she's seen the highest of the high and the lowest of the low. And, and, um, she's seen my friends come and go in this business and drug problems and drinking problems. And, and, um, you know, the, the things that, the things that, uh, that kind of, kind of, kind of go with the territory. Um, but yeah, you know, that song was basically saying, look, I know I'm, <laughs> I know I am the way I am, but I love you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, there are a couple songs out there that say that kind of deal. You know, like there was I Love You by Jerry Jeff that is amazing. And then there's uh, Anyway, I Love You by Guy Clark, which our boy Brent Cobb said is probably the most perfect country song ever written. Or that's how you write a country song. I was talking to Brent the other day, man, and I know he keeps coming up because, you know, he's, he's a favorite of yours and rightfully so. But we, we were talking the other day and I said, man, I, I was listening to his latest record. And. Uh, oh, God, I, the, the sometimes I'm a clown. Oh, God. Future ain't no joke, dude. <laughs> I mean, like I told him, I was like, I was like, you know, when a song, and I think that hopefully it's a higher compliment you know, whenever a songwriter tells another songwriter they, they respect, I said, dude, like, that's it. Like, you just, like, that is it. I was like, that's my song, man. <laughs> like, that's, you know, that's, that's where it's at, man. That's, that's, that's it. Oh my God. Like, well, you brought him, well, I guess we all, I bring him up so much, but when I hear shine on rainy day, like I like that, like you're, when I told you about no words, like when I hear shine, it's, I mean, it just does it to me. Like I've been listening to that song for 60 months now and I, I, I'm, I haven't even been listening to it since it came out, but five years I've been listening to that song and it still touches me every time about life, right? About whether, you know, like, you know, you, it, life's crazy glue. Like there's just words in, in the lyrics. Like, and, and we started this conversation off by me saying how much music plays a role in one's life. And there are some people out there, Cody Jinx, that might not believe in that. They might not even care about music or listen to it that much, but with the way how easy it is to get music today and streaming and YouTube and all of these different sources and platforms. I mean, there's a lot of good music out there that, that, you might never hear. Now, Brent is on Outlaw Country. You're on Outlaw Country. You're selling out arenas. Brent's not selling out arenas. I think Brent is as good as they've ever come in music. What does it take? I want to start going into this, and I, maybe we'll, we're will we going to end this in a little bit because I know you're busy. I want to have part two because I want to know what it takes, Cody. You, How do you break an artist? Because you've broke. You are selling out arenas. Your merch lines are long. Your downloads and streams are epic what does it take to break an artist when you sat here and just told me brent cobb is as legit as they come he's next level what does it take i, I don't know if there's a short answer for that um to be honest with you i think i think if that's an avid avenue that being you know case specific to him if he wanted to take, I, I think he could. I mean, the guy's gone out and opened arenas for, you know, Stapleton. And um, I think that you have to want to do that. And 
I think that the people that are more serious as songwriters than than like going up and being the guy that's up on stage doing the thing, you know, being, you know, being whatever the stage thing is, the rock star looking thing or whatever. I think that um your your guys that your guys and your and your gals that are more focused on just being songwriters, they don't they don't really care about you know breaking into into that and and I admire that in a lot of ways because you know, like I was saying a while ago, I would, I would still rather set in a, you know, in a hundred seating, a hundred seat, you know, listening room on a bar stool with everybody being quiet as hell. Um, you know, I just, it was one of those, for me personally, it was one of those things where I just kept going, damn, I can't believe that happened. You know, damn, we sold out Red Rocks, you know, damn, we, we just had two number one records back-to-back weeks. You know, I don't even know how the hell any of that happened. It just kind of happened. And I can see myself, though, going back to um, not wanting to do the big, huge shows, wanting to, to focus more on being the songwriter-singer as opposed to being um, the, the singer-songwriter-entertainer. Uh, I, love, I love playing live whether it's in front of 10 people or in front of 10,000 people, I, you know, I, I tell people that, that ask me a lot, you know, young people or, or, or parents asking for their, their kids, you know, Hey, my kid does this or, Hey, I, I play and you know, this and that. And, you know, how do I do it? How do I make it? And that's right. I say, you know, I say there's, there's varying degrees of making it, you know, there's, there's Dean Dillon making it which Dean can probably walk into a coffee shop unmolested and there's George Strait making it. He can't, you know, George but was Dean singing made George Strait, right? You know, so it's, 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 how do you want to make it? What do you, what do you want? If do you, are you the kid with the stars in your eyes that wants to, to go out on the big stage or are you the, the person that wants to, you know, like great example, Martin Offler with Dark Straits. He dissolved Dark Straits when Dark Straits was selling out 20,000 seaters. He said, it was just too much, man. I, I just didn't, I wasn't digging it, you know? And, and so started doing my own solo thing and playing the smaller rooms that I wanted to play. You know, you do see things like that happen. But I tell these kids, you don't learn how to play in front of 500 people. You don't learn how to play in front of 5,000, 15 or 50,000 people. You learn how to play in front of five. If you can hold five people, you can hold an arena, you know? So where do you want your challenge to be in what, what degree, where do you, where do you want to focus you know, do you want it to be more on the songwriting? Do you want it to be more on the live show? You say you love to play live, and I know that you do, but are you unhappy with playing in front of that many people? Do I sense something that says that maybe you do not want to walk out on that stage in front of 10,000 people, or do you get off on that? No, I, I, I love it and hate it. I love to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that's probably the most fair answer I can give you. I'm going to bitch about something either way. If there's, if there's five people out there, I'm going to bitch because there's only five out there. If we're playing an arena, I'm going to find something else to bitch about. I'm going to bitch about something. I, I miss, I miss it at its purest form in terms of sitting, uh, sitting down on a stool doing a song swap with some other great writers that you just, you can't wait for the show and you just vibe off each other and you joke back and forth and you, you know, but then, Hey man, put me out on a festival and I look out and I can see 30 or 40,000 people thinking, hell yeah. Wow. Let's take them on a ride, you know? So hell yeah. I'm going to find something to bitch about. I, I, if I, w- if I was playing small clubs, I'd be bitching about not playing for larger clubs. I'm playing larger places now. So I'm bitching about not being able to play smaller ones, man. You know, <laughs> I'd love, I'd love to see it at the floor Bama or I'd love to see it at the broken spoke in Austin. I'd love to see you at Lukenbach. Like I used to go to Jerry Jeff's birthday party every year, Cody, I'd go down to Austin and I'd go to the broken spoke. And uh, then we go to the Paramount theater and Jimmy Buffett sat with him one night and Django, his son sat with him one night. And um, Willie was there one time for his birthday party. And um, just, that that just I, I love that idea of that small room and that intimacy right you'll kind of lose that when you're at a festival as a fan when you're out there in the mosh pit or when you're out there in the the cheap seats or that you know like i know i remember garth brooks a long time ago way back in the 90s when he had his first tv special maybe he's he started it and i've seen chesney do it before too where he like goes all the way up to the top row in a football stadium and he sits in that seat and he says how do i make sure this person feels like they're in the front row and i think that's such a cool outlook right and i know that's how you do it if if if, if i every show. My, you do. my staff goes out every show during sound check we will have uh at least one person designated to walking around the entire place making sure that the sound is good, that the lights are good. We take very, very good care to do it. But going back to what you just said, you know, talking about your willies and, 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 your, and your guys like that, that, that have played in front of more people than I will ever play in front of in my life. But what those guys love to do, they may go play in front of however many people. Those guys were still playing in clubs too. Because they were comfortable, you know? I mean, Merle Haggard at Green Hall, 800 cap. You know, it, it, you know I've, I've seen, you know, these guys that are just monsters in small rooms um, because they want to. And I'm, you know, I'm at the point now to where I think, you know, I can dictate a little bit more of what I want to do when I want to do it. But... I'm definitely still not at the, 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 the level or the place in my life to where I can say, I'm going to stop doing this right now. You know, I want to just do this, you know, I'm, I'm still working, man. I, you know, there's, I, there's still, and there, there's always things about everybody's jobs that are, are tough and difficult. I and mean, I love that. I think it's Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, do something every day that scares you you know, at least once a day, you know, take some sort of a risk. And I feel like I'm doing that every time I walk out on stage. So I guess that's why I keep doing it. 
You know what's cool about you, Jinx, is that you have such a high music IQ, and you also have a high life IQ. I know that you would sit there and maybe rebuttal that and say, I'm not really that intelligent, or I'm not smart. My wife is, has been my backbone, and, and I get that, and you have an unbelievable amount of humility. I see it, but you really do have this this vision and this this ideology, these theories that really, really, really make sense. Like they, they hit home about how you look at things, and I think that if you had to dissect it or do a forensic audit on the way your brain works, that's a big part of your success. I think that a lot of your success comes from your ability to navigate the way that you just navigated through this conversation in a very intelligent, unbiased way. And I'm not jumping the gun of saying that you might not be biased in certain areas, but I think you have a really, really, really um, strong hold um, that you can get through for lack of better terms, any threshold, you are going to do stuff that scares you. You are going to take a risk because it's not easy to get to where you've gotten in this business. I'm a witness of seeing careers of like, holy shit, you're still where you were eight years ago. And that might be okay. But if you're looking at it as a livelihood and as a means of revenue to, to pay your employees and to pay the band and to, to take care of your family, you you've taken some big risks, man. But I honestly think that the main reason that you've been able to handle it in such a optimistic, positive way is because you really do have a good grasp of life. I don't know if you've ever heard that or if that's if that's me just like being naive. But the listening to you talk, man, it's really like what people need to understand. Like this life, it can be a, a mother effort. You say a motherfucker, right? Like it can be. How can you get through it? I think that you've done an amazing job of doing that part of it, but the career wise, holy shit, man, it's on a different level. The, the, the biggest, the biggest pat on the back I could give myself is, uh, you know, and, and thank you for the kind words. I don't, I don't feel like I'm any, any smarter in, or any well-versed in this life or anything else. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of fucking up. And, um, you know, the, the desire to be, uh, a great songwriter The you know, if the, when I'm done with all of this stuff, when, when it's all done and, and I'm an old man or I'm dead, the one thing, what I would like to be remembered for is I would like other songwriters of note, you know, that maybe I respected or, or whatever to say that guy, that guy could write a good song. Like that's, that's it, you know? Um, and, and what I mean in like, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of fucking up. I, you know, I have a great responsibility um, to my band and my crew. So the biggest pat on my back I can give myself is the people that I've surrounded myself with. Um, my newest guy has been with me for four years. Awesome. That's the new guy, you know, um, on the, on the crew, on the, you know, so, you know, that's, I have a lot, I have a, a, a lot of responsibility, man. You know, I have, you know, we're, we're brothers, you know, it's, I don't say, um, I don't say my band, I say our band, you know, um, Dave is not my drummer. Dave is our drummer. You know, Chris is our guitar player. I am the singer of our band. I understand that it's my name up there, but I think what, what has made me successful is, is, is putting stock into, um, the people that have put stock into me. Uh, 
Because whenever I have a hard time believing in myself, I have to lean on the people that are that still believe in me whenever I'm down, you know, and I trust that because I put those people in place for that very reason. And it's a it's a big family. That's that's the reason that's that's the whole reason I'm where I'm at is because of the people that uh, have helped me get there. I want to get into that. I want to do I want to do some more of this with you because I think that that is a very um, mature maturity is everything, right? You've, you've said so many times throughout this podcast of your different stages in life from 17 year old kid in the honky tonks of, of Fort Worth in the stockyards to where you are now at 40 selling out arenas at 10,000 seats. There's a lot of maturity that comes into this, um, whether it's family or fatherhood or friendship or leadership or entrepreneurship, all of this stuff comes with different stages of maturity. And I'm seeing this in my own life, Cody Jinx of like, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Like if I didn't have the people around me that I do, and I'm not even a hundred percent responsible for putting them there. You, I would be nothing. It's like, you have to look at all those little intricate details and all of those moving parts and those pieces of that puzzle. Like, why is all of this happening? And to get a grasp on that and to really accept it, because I want to get in, I want to get into this next time. I want you to think about this. Cody Jinx is how hard is it truly to accept success? And you work so hard to climb those rungs of a ladder and you're getting supported all the way up there to the top. Go Cody, go. And then you might get to that top rung and then you're like, Oh man, I got critics. Now people are watching every move I make. This album sucks or this song sucks or he didn't show his best last. Then all of a sudden they want to take you off of that top rung when they just helped you climb it. It's, it's a weird mentality that we have. How hard is it to accept success? You work so hard. And then all of a sudden you're like, do I really deserve this? Well, hell yeah. You were, you've been working at this your whole life. There's a lot of people that have a hard time accepting success, Cody Jinx. So I want to get into that with you of like, does that wear on your brain sometimes of like, man, I don't really understand. You've said it already in this podcast. Like, I don't really know how it happened, but do you ask yourself if you deserve it? Because you worked your ass off. Like you ask yourself that all the time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, you, you, like I said, while I go, you know, you work, 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 work. And, um, and you have those moments where you, you know, you pull your head up and look around and you're thinking, well, damn, how did I get here? And, and why do I deserve this? And why are all these people that are doing the same things as I'm doing, not having, you know, the success that I'm having and, 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 ha and, and really, Success for me has been a difficult thing to deal with uh, as a whole in, in terms of, you know, walking into a restaurant or, well, COVID's helped because I wear a mask. And so it's, you know, I don't wear my hat, my cowboy hat, and my sunglasses, but I have a mask on. Nobody can tell it's me, but, you know, typically, you know, it's the last few years, it's gotten to the point to where, you know, I walk into a Walmart or a Kroger or wherever, you know, and, 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 People just go, oh my God. And you're looking around like, what? <laughs> you know, and they're like, it's you. Yeah, man, I was getting some milk. What's happening? You know, um, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a strange thing. But I, but it, you know, I live out in the middle of nowhere. So I don't, I don't see uh, people very often whenever I'm not on the road. I'm, I'm very introverted. Um, so I don't have to, 
I don't have to deal with a whole lot of that um, unless I'm on the road. Uh, when I'm on the road, you know, it's, it's, I, and I look at it this way too. When I'm on the road, I'm theirs. When I'm at home, I'm my family's. So that's, that's my time. That's, you know, um, but dealing with the success, I guess, when you're on the road and you go out, you know, you, you know, like I love, I love certain cities, you know, I love going to Boston. I love going to Seattle. I love, you know, so many, I could name just tons of towns that I love, you know, and I have these little favorite places that I go, but now in those towns, people know <laughs> that if I'm in that town, I'm going to hit that spot. You know? <laughs> yeah. They're going to be so their way. You know, just the preparation of knowing that you just want to go sit down by yourself and like have a beer at this little joint that, you know, that every motherfucker at the shows know, you know, knows you're probably going to walk by at least, you know? <laughs> so I, you know, I kind of, Sometimes kind of turtle, you know, like, oh shit, they saw me, you know. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you get it's shot. Not, it's, you get shot. It is what it is. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, I'm telling you, man, the, the, the name of this podcast, Cody Jinx, came from a 2008 trip, my first trip ever to Music City, USA, Nashville, Tennessee. And I was in Midtown at Losers. And this, the name of this podcast, I don't know if you've been in Losers. I'm sure you have. Yes, sir. Um, many, many, many times. I met, I met Kendall Marvel in Losers, actually. There you go. The sign behind the stage where the state, where the house band or anybody that gets up and sings, the sign behind the stage is this life ain't for everybody. And obviously that's meaning the honky tonks and trying to work your way up. But I, I try to take a different approach of what it meant, but this it's, it's hard to, I want to, I could have a whole conversation with you about people say, how do you accept failure? You got to learn to accept failure. But then all of a sudden, if the success comes, it's no easier to accept that than it is to accept failure. Like accepting success and getting used to it and learning how to deal with it is harder than one could imagine. I'm not saying I learned from experience. I'm saying that I see it like with these guys that start to get success. It's a lot of people have a hard time dealing with success. And I, I want to maybe talk to you a little bit about how do you do it? Because I don't think that there's a practice to it. It's you just said yourself all this time. Now you're 40 years old. You'll still tuck your head in your shirt because you almost are too shy to, to really be in a place to where people know who you are when you've worked your whole, your whole, your ass off to get here. Did you not think that it was coming? Like, I want to figure that part of it out. Like, yeah. what are you saying? Is that not fucker of the situation? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you worked your whole life and then you're going, ah, don't look at me. Yeah, it's weird. It's just a weird mindset. It's like, it, here, I got, uh, uh, before I get into the, the, the Cody Jinx hot seat, I want to ask you one last question. With what we just discussed the last five minutes, Jamie Johnson, again, your friend, my friend, one of the best talents of all time, in my opinion, in music. Is this why... Jamie said, you know what? <laughs> I don't want, did he do the same thing, Cody? Of like, I could do this. I could go sell out an arena. Like I know Sturgill's unreal. Okay. Sturgill's a legit talent, but Jamie was my Sturgill. Jamie was my generation Sturgill Simpson. Like I think, and he's my generation's freaking Cody Jinx. You have a cult falling. Jamie is going to be that guy that Chris Christopherson invites to his tribute. Kenny Rogers, he tore down the house at Bridgestone Arena at the Kenny Rogers. The Merle Haggard, the Willie Nelson birthday. He does it. He gets invited to be on everything because he's respected as a songwriter and a performer, but he's not the guy that's going to go sell 15,000 seats, even though 
those 15,000 people that would take a chance on listening to Jamie that night would be blown away. What is it about Jamie Johnson that he, did he just say, you know what? I'm, I'm over it. I, 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 was that too heavy? Really? I can't answer that any better. Um, I think, yeah, basically I think he just said, whatever, man, you know, um, I think that he, he looks at it in terms of he's going to go play. And he's going to go play in front of 25 people or he's going to go play in front of 2,500 people or 25,000 people. He's just going to go play, you know, is, is kind of the way I see him. He doesn't get wrapped up in it. You know, he really doesn't. You know, if there's if there's one guy that I can tell you, like, this guy doesn't give a shit about any of this shit. He just wants to go sing his damn songs. It's Jamie. You know, and I can, I can tell you, too, you mentioned Sturgill, you know, having played a couple times with Sturgill. Sturgill's the same way, man. You know, he, he – I, dude, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his work. I think he's great. And I love how he keeps people on his toes, on their toes, you know. that he They never know what – you know, they're, they're, they're going, has he lost his mind? And he's sitting there laughing. You know, they're thinking, what the hell is he doing? And he's and he's sitting there going, I know exactly what I'm doing. And that's exactly what Jamie did. You know, that's you know, those are the guys that I, I like. Those are the guys that that I want to be around because it doesn't it doesn't go to your head. It, it doesn't become too big for those guys. You walk up to those guys and it's just like me and you sitting here talking like this. They don't give a shit. No. Nope. Cooler head. Okay, Cody Jinks hot seat. Um, is Miranda Lambert the best female artist, country genre, since Dolly Parton? Is she the new Dolly Parton? Is she the best there ever was? Is she the best there is right now? Is Miranda Lambert the legit, the most legit? No, no, no. Who is? Oh God, dude, I could, I can make you a list. Give me some. I, I need to be edgy. We haven't talked on the female genre yet. Oh, dude. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Miranda. I've I've opened for her before. You know, it's, I mean, I don't. I've never met her. I can't say anything bad about her. Everybody that that uh, I'm big friends with Sunny Sweeney. She's huge friends. You know, they've been friends for years and years. I I don't really know her. Um, I. I don't know. I mean, for me personally, I think there's, there's way better writers. Um, I think there's way better singers. I don't, I don't think I need to start naming any, but you know, I, th okay. I think that, I think that for, uh, I think that what she's, what she's done has been amazing. I, I really do. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, dude, there's way better people than anybody. There's, you just got to look for them. You travel the world now. You're from Texas. Where's the best barbecue? <laughs> oh, man. Come on. You got Carolina. You got Memphis. You got Kansas City. Talk I'm to me. I'm tough. I'm, and and I'm, I'm a tough barbecue critic, too, man. Um, KC, man. I like KC a lot. I'm a, I'm a big vinegar guy, and KC is known for being a little vinegar heavy. Um. <sighs> I mean, I'm still saying Texas. I mean, come on, man. Do you like the rendezvous in Memphis? Have you eaten their dry ribs? No, I have not. So maybe I need to I need to go and and do some more of my due diligence and and figuring that out. Have you eaten Franklin barbecue in Austin? Yes. 
Yes. You've seen him on all the food shows, right? Is is it as is it as amazing as they make it sound on all these shows? Man, good barbecue is good barbecue. You can hype anything up. Ooh, I like that theory because he was on the Chef Show with John Favreau on the movie. They went there on the movie, and now he's been on the Chef Show a bunch of a couple times. And then I, I heard it sells out by like eleven a.m. or something every day. Well, yeah, I mean that's 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 great marketing, man. You can be Guy Ferreira and and go to you know, one of his diners or drive-bys or whatever that is. And they can put that sticker on the, the wind, the window. And then all of a sudden everybody wants to eat there, <laughs> you know, is I haven't brought this up on the show and you might've heard it on this podcast before. When you listen to an episode or two is Chris Knight, one of the best of all time. Hands down. Oh, Cody Jinx, you're freaking got it going on. Talk to me about Chris Knight. I had a good Chris Knight story, man. Um, I'm a huge, huge, I know you are as well. I've been listening to your podcast. I know he's been on a couple of times. Um, I'm a huge Chris Knight fan. Um, actually, I have a song called David that, you know, people are like, how do you write that? Because most of my stuff is is first person me. Stuff that's happened in my life. And like, is David a true story? I'm like, no, man, I was channeling my inner Chris Knight on that song. And I, I, that's what I tell people, you know, um, just a huge, huge fan of his. And we were opening for Chris down in Corpus Christi probably five or six years ago. And <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to muster up the, the, the courage to go ask him for an autograph. I'm on the damn bill. But, you know, Chris is kind of, you know, he, he seems a lot more gruff than he actually is. You know, he, he's right. a very uh, intimidating, um, not not so much, not really imposing, just, I don't know. You just like, like, you're just like, man, that guy's a badass, you know, it's just like, damn, man, I wish I was that badass. So anyway, I'm opening up for him in Corpus Christi and I have this guitar that I took off the road uh, since then, but I used to carry it with me and just have people sign it that I, I love. I've got everybody on it. I mean, Ray Wiley Hubbard, to Chris Knight, to Johnny Bush, to whoever. And I was standing at the time we were in a, in a motorhome, uh, an RV, a class, uh, a class C cab over motorhome. And that's what we toured in for almost five years. And, and, I grab this guitar and I'm trying to psych myself up. I'm like, cause Chris is the band. His band is, is setting up and loading in and he's just sitting out in their van. He's just kind of sitting there. And I was like, Chris is over there, man. I need to go say something. I need to take my guitar and have him sign it. I just don't know what to say. And I'm like having this, Oh my God, it's, Oh, it's Chris Knight. Oh no. What do I do? And so I walk, I have this whole thing prepared, grab my guitar. I walk over the windows down on his van and I say, Excuse me, Mr. Knight. My name's Cody Jinks. I'm opening for you tonight. I'm a huge fan. And I wanted to know if, if you would sign my guitar. And he goes, huh? <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I got to say all that over again. I've practiced it so much. Hi, Mr. Knight. My name's Cody Jinks. I'm opening up for you tonight. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> Would you sign my guitar? And he goes, he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he gets out and signs my guitar. He's like, how y'all doing? I was like, oh, we're pretty good, man. We're, we're glad to be here playing with you tonight. All right. <laughs> and he gives my guitar back. That was it, you know. But have you talked to him since? 
No, <laughs> that, was the first, that was the first and only uh, exchange that I've had with Chris Knight. But it's so funny. <laughs> I had gone through this whole thing being so nervous. And he goes, huh? <laughs> he probably had a dip in too, didn't he? Oh, God, always. <laughs> always got a dip in. Did you, uh, did you uh, um, were you nervous opening for him that night after that, after that exchange? Uh, no, because he was, I mean, it, the, the short exchange that we had, you know, it was funny to me. Cause I was like, I was so nervous. And then I laughed at myself cause he was like, huh? And then he was like, how y'all doing? You know? All right. You know, cool. And I wasn't nervous after that. I probably would have been more nervous had I not, I was, I was way more nervous about walking up to him than I was playing. So if you had one, if you got, the, we're going to end this now, Cody, this has been awesome for me, but you got to buy a ticket to a Chris Knight show. But on that bill, it said, Chris is only singing one song tonight. And Cody Jinx is the only person in the room. He's singing this song because you're there and you get to request this song. What is it? It's easy. Is it? Times are tough. They ain't got nothing on me. Oh, my God. The whole thing about digging that bullet out of his leg with that old case knife and that barroom fight and then that three-legged... God, man. Come on, Cody Jinx. That is songwriting at its best, right? It is. And that song reminds me of my dad. And my dad is 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 truly one of my heroes. He's one of the guys that uh, that I, I look back and, and, and I've known a lot of bad motherfuckers. And my dad's up there with with some of the baddest of them, and that that song reminds me of my dad. And uh, yeah, Cody, we got it one one time. One time, if we don't do it in duck camp, if we don't do it in turkey camp, if if we don't do it on a boat catching fish in Galveston on a casting blaster, whatever it is, we have to just go to Kentucky. We have to go somewhere and just watch you and Chris Knight play together and just have a little back and forth acoustic set because that would I mean that that would be my all time gig right there is just watching you guys go back and forth with song for song. You, you know what we need to do, man? We need to we need to get we need to uh, you put this together, okay? I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in your hands because if you can if you can pull this together, I'll I'll go ahead and tell you, I'll just do it. You get you get me and Chris and uh Brent and add them together for a duck hunting trip or sing or, or a songwriting trip, whatever. And Jamie, I'll see if I can get, I'll see if I can talk Jamie into it. <laughs> I'm going to text Jamie today and say, Jamie, we're going, we're going, did he show you the Benelli's? Did he show you the Benelli's by chance? No, he, I know he got off. I talked to Chris Hennessy the other day. Chris called me and he's like, man, Jamie's excited about this duck hunting stuff. He's going full on like he did with golf. Text, text Jamie and say, send me, please text me a picture of the guns that Belding sent you. And if you need them, I got you too. But just look at the guns that Benelli got, did for him. Okay. No, I'll, I'll text him later. But yeah, you, you throw that show together. I'll come play it. Okay, I'm on it. I, I, I promise you, you just said that. I'm going to go to work on it as soon as I've closed this laptop down. Hey, if you can hurt all them cats, I, I'd say you earned it. Oh, my God. Tennessee Will, Brent Cobb, Adam Hood, Cody Jinx, and Chris Knight. I don't I, – I might fanboy out that night, bro. <laughs> I would, too. I those, are some of, those are some of my favorites. <laughs> I might fanboy out. All right, so I, I can't pick a song. I, I'm – like jinx i i don't know if i can pick one do you have one that you feel like doing 
or will you do a song for us because it would be an honor. And I loved, I love you educated me a little bit today, Cody Jinx. I'm going to tell you how before you sing a song. I have even put it into some social media posts about today was very humbling. The ducks cooperated, the, the hunt, the experience, the story, the people I was with, it humbled me more to keep me grounded of being, I'm trying to get to the point, Cody, to where tomorrow's hunt is going to be its own, but I still got to remember today's because it was so special, but it's so easy in my mind to forget about today's because tomorrow has a chance to be just as epic, if not more. But the people that I was with today are so special to me new and old friends, but tomorrow I'm going to be with people that are just as special. It's a weird, it's a weird thing in my brain that you got to balance. You agree? It's important to remember those things. It's also, it's important to remember what you did today. And it's important to reflect on those things. But at the same time, if you're still thinking about what you did yesterday, you ain't done shit today. Damn, Cody, you need to be writing some books and some, uh, some, you ought to do some PhD speeches at some campuses around the country, bro. I should write songs or something. You should write some songs, man. I tell you what, um, so we've been kind of talking about normal people and, and, you know, you and I know a lot of the same people. I'll, I'll do an old B side. I don't know how well it's going to pick up with this. I'll try to aim this down a little bit. And this isn't a song that, that I, I do live, um, it's just a song that I love and, um, you know, going through the times that we're going through right now, it's, uh, it's important to remember, like I was talking about a while ago, it's important to remember the people that you rely on, the people, the normal folks, the, the people that, uh, you know, you love, that are your family, that are your friends, that, that keep you grounded. This song's called Folks. Some folks like to look, they like to point, they like to push, they like to shove. Some folks like to talk about the things they have, things they love, things of that, just things. I don't give a damn, I must seem trite. I'm not that old, I'm not too young, I'm not too smart, I sure ain't dumb. I've walked around and round and round most every place. I've been found and all I've found. Most places usually seem the same to me. I talk with people off the street in my line of work. I tend to meet the kind of folk that seem like-minded, those of us. Trying to find our way, so let's just meet up at some place. We can work it out. I talk with people off the street in my line of work. I tend to meet the kind of folk that seem like-minded, those of us. Trying to find our way, so let's just meet up at some place. We can sort it out. This godforsaken world, it chews you up, it spits you out, it scuffs your shoes, it takes most everything you've got, and it tries you with the blues, but that's all right. Blues is something proves we still feel. 
Some folks like to look, they like to, they like to push, they like to shove. Some folks like to talk about the things they have, things they love, but things are that just things. I don't give a damn and I'm all right. Wow, man. Simple, but so heavy, right? Like, do you call that simplistic heaviness? Is that how to describe that song? Yeah. uh, Yeah. I like it. Simplistic heaviness. No, you know, it's, it's, it's not a song that really goes over well live um, because people are there drink beer and sing along and, you know, hippies and cowboys and all that kind of stuff. I get that, but um, you know, you break that out and everybody goes, what, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so it, it, you know, it's, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite songs that, that, uh, that I've written that I, I never get a chance to play, but yeah, simplistic heaviness. I like that. Simplistic heaviness. It makes, it's a thinking song. Yeah, absolutely. Cody, I got a job to do, man. I got to go to work on this show. I'm a promoter now. Okay. Yeah. Hey man. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I've got the next, um, <laughs> months, months. months. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here in August. I, today I heard August. I heard maybe August, huh? Yeah. Um, I heard that uh, some of the, the big promoters, you know, were, were going to start booking in April and May to try to get some summertime shows. Um, but, you know, damn it, man, it's, it's, it's been such a crapshoot trying to, trying to navigate this and figure it out. And what I found is nobody knows, man, you know, and I hope it's August. <laughs> I hope it's August. Dude, well, I've been off the road almost 11 months. Well, it's hard to say for some people, like I feel for you because you've made a good living so far and there's other people out there that have struggled, but this has taken its toll on more than Cody Jinx. It's his crew. It's his more than the band. It's the, the, the roadies, it's the stagehands. it's the sound technicians. It's the guitar techs. There's, there's revenue being lost in so many different ways. Cody Jinx that, that we can't take it for granted that when we go to a concert, like we're going to get to go to another one. And that's why music again is such a heavy, heavy influence in my life. And it's got me through so much, whether it was 1983 and listen to Kevin DeBrow sing Metal Health and come on, feel the noise. When I got my first cassette tape, I got my first cassette tape in 1983 at a Kmart and my dad was pissed off at me because it had a song on there called Love's a Bitch. And I told him there was no cuss words on this album. And then three short years later, three short years later, my dad got, the confidence to take me to my first concert, Cody Jinx. And it was D Snyder and twisted sister opening for Bruce Dickinson and iron maiden at Lawler event center in Reno, Nevada, 14,000 people. And D Snyder never cussed on stay hungry album. It was, I want to rock and we're not going to take it. And then every other word was the F word. My dad was looking at me like I was crazy. Cause D Snyder was cussing in person. And then we got through that set. Here comes Bruce Dickinson and iron maiden. And then they let Eddie out the, big mummy and then he started singing 666 is the number of the beast and my dad said we're out of here and (laughs) we we lasted one song one song for iron maiden but at least the old man the old man rest in peace pops but at least he let me see the entire i could i i was a twisted sister groupie aj pierre on the drums mark the animal mendoza on the bass jj french on the lead lead guitar D Snyder on the vocals and AJ Pirro was, did I already say AJ Pirro was a drummer? Now I can't even think of the, the rhythm guitarist, but Cody, I was a huge fan and my dad let me sit 
at 11 years old, I got to sit through freaking Twisted Sister. That's and, pretty cool for an 11 year old. Yeah. And, and, and music is music from listening to my mom's Elvis records and listen to dad with Merle or Don Williams, you know, the gentle giant sing all of the, all of his hits. I grew up on music, man. And to be 2021 and to see what you're doing to influence people. It's badass, bro. So kudos to you and congratulations on an awesome career so far. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. I I don't I don't know what it is I'm doing. I'm just trying to do it, you know. You're doing it, man. You're doing and you're wearing a stack and bills hat. You're wearing a stack and bills beanie with Bob, you know, my boy's Bobby Joe. <laughs> He's a good friend, man. He came up and went duck hunting with me a couple of weeks ago. Uh um one of the funniest guys I've ever met, but when you see Bobby Joe, I want you to say this. Say Chad Belding can hit a baseball a lot further than you. <laughs> <laughs> last question. Last question of the podcast, Cody Jinx. Before I'll tell him, I'll, tell, I'll call him after we're done. Tell him. Last question of the podcast before I let you go. Again, I appreciate it. I'm. I am fired up to have a just the opportunity to have you on here has been amazing. And I know that you look at it like, hey man, I'm just Cody Jinx, but you're a big deal, bro. If you had your choice, and I know you've traveled the world. You've traveled all over singing your songs. In Texas, there's this little place that's orange and white called Whataburger. And out west here in Los Angeles and all over California, there's this little place called In-N-Out Burger. Which one does Cody Jinx order if you're on your last, last meal? You're on death row in prison. I don't know what you did wrong, but you're on death row. You get to choose one burger. It's got to be In-N-Out, right, Cody Jinx? Oh, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's Whataburger. Come oh, on, dude. You are out of yeah. your mind. Waterburger number number what number four number, number four, four Waterburger number four at Waterburger that's Waterburger with Waterburger with cheese and jalapenos hold the onions number the four you're not yeah. an onions guy huh not an onion guy man I'll eat them peppers up but yeah number four with no onions got, that's a Waterburger with cheese and jalapenos man I love it that's Cody Jinx the man the myth he is going to be a legend hey I appreciate you being on here I'm gonna put this I'm gonna put this gig together Brent Cobb Adam Hood Chris Knight. Maybe Jamie Johnson and Cody Jinx. Y'all check out Cody Jinx if you already haven't. I'm going to bet my ass and everything that I got that you've already checked out this man's music. He is destroying the music scene right now and just killing it. Congratulations on the career, Cody. Any closing words? No, you know, thank you. Hey, I, you know, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. And, and uh, you know, this, the, I enjoy doing these podcasts. I don't, I don't do a lot of interviews anymore, but thank you for, uh, thank you for having me on and, and uh man we we got our podcast going we started season two um we're about six episodes in season two so that's about all i'm doing it's called a couple in with cody jinx and so i'm kind of doing the same thing you are since they won't let me uh they won't let me play any music well text me and i'll gladly come on and uh i might we might have a little uh, discussion on barbecue i could throw down a couple recipes talk music a little bit more or maybe duck okay. maybe duck hunt i'm gonna get you out here in california go duck hunt with my friends out here and uh maybe you can sing a couple songs around a campfire man thank you so much for being on hey no doubt i'd love to you give me a holler anytime you got my number all right brother i'll do it that's cody jinx another episode of this life ain't for everybody podcast brought to you by our friends lynchburg tennessee the iconic jack daniels enjoy it responsibly never ever allow underage drinking we do not take this life for granted say i love you to your friends and family tonight they might not be here tomorrow we've seen that this week with occurrences with our good friend jason rowdy cope passing away in his sleep rest in peace rowdy i miss you already and then cody did you hear about this story yesterday or the day before in tennessee of 
two young duck hunters being murdered in a duck blind by a man that is still on the run. Crazy times in our country right now, brother. Do not take this life for granted. We might not be on this side of the dirt tomorrow. Do you agree? Oh, my God. Yes. Yes, yes. No, it's crazy. tragic, man. It's tragic going out there and having fun and being yeah. down. Yeah. Golly. So yeah. No, it's, it's, it's important. I like what you said, man. Hug your family. Kiss your wife and kids and Every day. call your mama. Every day. I told somebody the day before yesterday, I got to learn how to be sweeter. I want to hug my brothers more. I don't even hug my brothers that much. And it pisses me off when I go to bed at night thinking that I don't. But I wasn't ready. I, I never did. And people do. But I want to learn how to, to be better and sweeter. That's my goal in life, Cody Jinx. I listen to your music daily. I got a lot of people on our crew and in my circle that love your music. Thank you for doing what you're doing. You're an inspiration. We will be back with you with another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast brought to you by Jack Daniels, Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Thank y'all. We're all equal, that's what I think. I don't believe heaven has a bank. Make good use of your time on earth and don't make a dollar bill all this world. Cause I'd rather be poor living off in a hole than rich as hell without a soul. Life on earth